0: Everybody to the Hockey Think Tank podcast brought to you by thehockeythinktank.com, a website for all players, parents, and coaches to go to get a little bit of education and a little bit of inspiration regarding the greatest game on the planet. What an episode we have for you guys here today. Coach Jeff Lavecchio and I, it's just going to be the two of us flying solo here for this one. And we are con- con- gonna continue on our five C's of youth development. And we are gonna go with talking about hockey habits today and the habits that we think are really, really important when it comes to player development and team development. Uh really excited to talk some hockey here today. Uh, but before we get to that, let's bring on the talent of the podcast, Jeff LeVecchio. Vex. What's going on today, my man?
1: What's up, brother? Just uh just got out of the gym actually for the weekend or for Saturday. Got to work tomorrow too, but uh, had some really good groups in today. But I'll tell you what, <clears throat> like pretty, pretty surprised. Well, I guess not surprised, but a little rattled. I've been asking a lot of my junior clients, you know, how are your workouts this year? And I'm always asking that during the year, but so many of the junior junior players are doing CrossFit during the season. And I know why. I know teams are trying to save money on strength coaches and trainers and you know crossfit gyms are big so they can get the whole team in there at once but i can't tell you how many of my guys like so many guys on our team got hurt so many of our guys didn't like the workouts. so many of our guys retired all season because we we're doing crossfit and the crossfit the gyms they're going to aren't making workouts for them they're just having the players do a crossfit workout it's like you're already burning so many calories. Like hockey burns like in a junior practice, like I'm sure a thousand calories a practice, you know, you're already roasting your CNS. Like should be working on strength and mobility and injury prevention, in my opinion, all these things, not just ripping through workouts. The so one guy said that they, every Wednesday they would do seven minutes straight of burpees. And I was like, what? He just told me this. And I was like, dude, I'm not going to say your name. I'm not going to say what team you played for, but that was the workout they were doing all season. And I was like, that is inexcusable. It's inexcusable. It's not helping anyone that's going to roast their shoulders, spine, hips. Like it just makes no sense. And, and I've wanted to start this business for a while. And I just said, hey, you know what? I'll just talk about on the podcast real quick today. I want to use my train heroic app to work with junior teams and send them, like charge them way less than they're probably charging CrossFit coaches and give them real workouts, training sessions the entire season where every kid will have the app on their phone, have their workouts. And it'll be a workout to make them better at hockey, not just a workout to work out for no reason. So if there's any junior teams out there who are looking to have like smarter workouts written that are specific to what hockey players need in season. I would love for you to talk to me because like that's literally like the eighth or 8th to 10th player that played in good junior leagues last year where they were going and doing CrossFit all season. So that definitely got a a, a burr up my saddle, if that's even a <laughs> saying. Uh, uh, today, hearing another kid tell me that. Um, so, you know, that fired me up, but that made me push them harder in the workout. So other than that, I'm doing well, man.
0: Yeah, good stuff. Well, it's not even – like, obviously can have value with junior teams, but I think it could even have – a lot of value for youth teams too, like midget programs and stuff. Um, Cause a lot of times, you know, it's, it's expensive to, to hire somebody to come in and work with your team. So yet they have the facility or they have um, space to, to be able to do the workouts. And typically it's either dad or, or the coach that has that on their plate. So any help that they can get, because like, we're not qualified to to really right. have the knowledge to, to really help the kids go through from, from a strength and conditioning standpoint. so or,
1: or even something I've learned the last two years coaching, you know, midgets is the time constraints. Yeah. It's got on uh, St. Louis and you know how I feel about this, but they're playing AAA hockey, three practices a week, two to four games on the weekend. They're playing high school hockey. A lot of them uh, much to my uh, chagrin, if you will, using cool words today. Um, they have school. They've got to live a life because I want them to have you know, normal life stuff. I want them doing that stuff. So you got all these things and then you also got to get workouts in and you have to get the workouts in. So maybe using the app, like it could allow the kids to kind of do the workouts on their own, on their own time where it fits into their schedule too, just like thinking out loud quickly. But yeah, I just I, I just wanted to throw that out there. If anybody's interested in, in working with me doing that stuff I'll probably take on a couple teams this year. Um, I just want to help these guys like hearing this one kid, he's like, I tore my tricep doing that burpee thing. And I was like, Jesus, like what is going on? Like just from a stupid workout, like let's help these kids be better. Anyway, sorry. Tangent. No, it's important
0: stuff, man. It's important stuff. I think, uh, yeah, I mean, it's so much different than when we were growing up and, like I feel like it just went in like phases you know for for me I had stand so we did like all this Russian crazy Mm -hmm. stuff duck walks and which now is I mean really good yeah Yeah.
1: yeah. all that all that movement
0: mobility no
1: weights
0: yeah it wasn't weights and and stuff like that then you know the next phase was get as big and strong as possible just football player type workouts strong fast blah 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 (laughs) And then uh now I just feel like it's shifting so much more to the fast switch muscles and to athleticism mobility, yeah, athleticism, all that kind of stuff. So, you know, it goes it certainly goes in phases and and you know, even now the stuff that you're doing in five to ten years, you're gonna be doing different stuff. So Oh yeah, for sure. Um yeah. I, 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 I mean, I've, I've done the train heroic stuff for sure. This isn't a plug for you, but I guess it is. Uh, it's, it's awesome stuff. So DM Jeff on Instagram, DM, DM him on Instagram and uh, Pump my tires. follow him on Instagram.
1: <laughs> All right. Anyways, enough about that stuff. Let's go.
0: Um, so a uh, little announcement here. So this episode, we are actually going to put this one on YouTube. So Jeff and I, we have not done this yet. We've typically just uh, had our audio obviously go out on the podcast, but we're putting this one on on YouTube. And Jeff, I know that you like to listen to podcasts on YouTube um, for us because it's the two of us. You know, I'm sure some of the people and most of the people that we put on here wouldn't care if we put the video up uh, or whatever. But, but um, you know, for us for this one, we're going to put it up on YouTube. So uh, we've been doing a lot of really cool stuff on YouTube, and uh, we've been. Pumping it out on the social, we go in and we do deep dives of certain plays where we really break down certain players and certain plays. Um, we do a ten question series where we've had uh, people from women's hockey. We've had, uh, I think the best one, the one that's been most uh, viewed so far is we had three uh, college assistant coaches talk about the recruiting process. Um, so we just have a lot of content on uh, on YouTube. So head on over to our YouTube page, subscribe, and, and this will be on it so you can kind of see Jeff and I conversing uh, <laughs> as we're as we're going through here for this one. And then uh, one thing I also wanted to talk about too was uh, so we uh, every year at Cornell uh, and in the Ithaca area, I put together a charity hockey game. I've been the event chair for five years. This is going to be year number six. And uh, we've had the ability to raise over $500,000 for a school for kids with special needs. And uh, it just, it's, it's been if such an such, amazing, no, that's awesome. <laughs> it's been such an amazing event and we've had people come and, and play in it, you know, like you know Joe Newendike, Hall of Famer, Mike Richter, uh, Ron Francis is involved this year. Um, you know, just, uh, Alex Tuck, uh, Alex Tuck just actually gave a thousand bucks to, to the cause. So thanks to Tucky for doing that, um, through his 89 foundation that, that he's put together. Um. So we actually, so typically the way that we do this is, you know, we have a game and it's awesome, man. Like we have, uh, every year we've had somewhere between 2000 and, and 2,500 people show up for the game. So you get uh, money that goes straight to the school, uh, through some like ticket revenues and sponsorships and stuff like that. But for this year, uh, with COVID, we, we weren't able to have uh, a physical charity hockey game. So what we've done is we've taken the competition to the fundraising, so all the players that quote unquote play in the game, uh, they score goals through the amount of money that they fundraise for the, uh, for, for the game. And so it's been really cool. We've actually raised, so we got one more week left in this. We've raised close to $80,000 already uh, just through this little initiative that we've had. And it's been, uh, yeah, it's been really, really cool. And and as someone, uh, and I've spoken about this, uh, having brothers with special needs, you really understand how important places like this are for families. And it's not just for the the kids, but for the families um, of, of people with special needs and, and the services that they provide and the support that they provide to, to everybody. I mean, it's just, it's so important and it's, it's so essential. And uh, so the fact that we've been able to raise money for an incredible place like this uh, has been has been really incredible. And so if anybody out there wants to donate again, I've I've not done this yet. But this is a cause that's just really, really important to to me and to my family and, and to our area, um, you know, uh, go to our, my Twitter page. It's it, the website on my Twitter page and my, in my, uh, profile it's on uh, my Instagram profile as well. Uh, if you do want to donate, I would really, really appreciate it. And there's like a little line that you can put, just put something about the podcast on there so I can see how many people from the podcast actually go in. Uh, there's just a week left. So, uh, if you're listening to this on Monday, just one more week, um, to be able to do it. What's today. It's I think the 11th, uh, Today is the 11th uh, Saturday that we're doing this. So the 13th uh, is the Monday that this is coming out. Um, I would just, it would be incredible. And I've had former teammates. I've had former players that I've coached and their parents, uh, people from my hometown, high school friends, friends I went to college with, uh, a bunch of USA hockey guys. And actually, uh, so Danny Mews, who's an incredible guy, he's an assistant coach with Nashville Predators. So he donated. And it's just like, just one of the best humans in the world, man. Just like saw it on Twitter. It's like, hey man, how can I help? And so just incredible. And then, you know, who also donated is uh, a one coach, Mike, Mike Hastings. So he reached out and he said, Hey, I love what you're doing and want to, want to help out. So he donated some money from the Mankato staff. So just kind of goes to show you a one won everywhere he's been because he's such a good individual and Hastings is has one wherever he's been and, and has done an amazing job where he's been too. So just kind of goes to show you just like little things like that. I feel like are a huge reason why they're so successful, you know?
1: I love the Haysto. Texted you and not me. Sup Haysto? <laughs> <laughs> um, hey man, I obviously like COVID's kind of hit my business pretty hard, and I've had to spend a crap load of money to keep the gym uh, the way that it needs to be to keep everyone six feet apart and do all the stuff that I had to do. But put the kid down for five hundred bucks. I wish it could be more, but you know, kind of no crazy way. times right now. Oh yeah, baby, five hundred bucks. Send me the bill. Send, send it to my email. My my company will pay for it. Are you gotcha. Yeah, bruh. Come on, bruh. I would have given you a couple grand if it was a normal summer, but these are not normal times. So, um, yeah, let's let's try to let's, let's send this out to some more people. Pauly, Staz, I know you're listening. Stazny texts me all the time after every episode. <laughs> he listens to all these episodes and for any listeners out there who haven't listened to our our episode with uh, NHL All-Star Paul Stazny, one of our one of our good buddies. I grew up with him for a long time. Uh, I'm a, I've actually been training him all throughout COVID on Train Heroic for a couple months now. Um, Listens all our podcasts, Staz. Don't be afraid to throw throw a couple shekels at here. Challenge him. <laughs> he's gonna he, be like, God, is he's he, calling me out in his car right now, gripping his steering wheel. <laughs> is making me donate? No, I'm just. Hey, his, his teammate in Vegas, there, Tucky,
0: donated a grand. So you don't know let that. don't let don't <laughs> let,
1: tux, don't let, tux, don't let tux-ky one up you, Staz. Let's go, baby. <laughs>
0: oh man dude thank you so much um you make me cry like before we even started this freaking episode but um (laughs) Um, okay shall we get to it then let's hop to it okay so what we're going to do here for this episode is we're going to talk about hockey habits and i broke it down into five different categories of, of habits that we can teach our kids and kids can get something out of this so Um, The way that I've broken it down is through team, through position, and then attitude.
1: (laughs) It's going on YouTube. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, Dan.
0: Uh, There you go. Um, So, uh, broken it down into team offensive habits, team defensive habits, uh, and then position habits. So, forward habits, defense habits, and then uh, attitude habits. So, we're just going to kind of go through. I'm going to say there's five in each of them that I'm going to – I'm going to kind of list off, and then Vex uh, we will just have maybe a conversation about a couple of them, and uh, we can get a little bit more in depth. You ready to go?
1: Yeah, let's bang. Game time, who? <laughs> all right, here we go. So the team,
0: team offensive habits that I think are, are really important that we can teach our, our teams and our kids. Number one, uh, communication. Communication is so important. makes the game so much easier. Number two, head up. Playing with your head up all the time. I think from a team standpoint, offensive standpoint, you want to make plays, you have to play with your head up. Uh, number three, a net presence. So there has to be some sort of a net presence if you want to score goals. Goalies are too good nowadays where if they're going to see it, especially if it's a shot from distance, they're going to save it. Uh, I'm not talking about, and we maybe we can get into this one, I'm not necessarily talking about there has to be one player that just sits in front of the goalie's eyes the whole time in the offensive zone. You know, There's got to be movement and things like that. But you know, a net drive, putting some pressure on the goalie, uh, when you're cycling the puck, taking his eyes away, or the puck's up at the point, uh, net presence really important. Uh, team offensive habit number four: be active in supporting the puck. Puck support is one of the most important habits when it comes to um, you know possession of the puck as a team. Uh, so not just standing around watching the person that has the puck do all the work. Active in supporting habits, passing. We, you know how much for people that listen to this podcast how important we think passing is. Uh, and then lastly, timing, 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 timing. I think timing is so important to supporting the puck and making the plays. And and again, we've talked about this, Vex. Uh, so much of the, the talk in hockey nowadays is fast, 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 fast. And there's certainly a lot of merit to that to a certain extent. The best players know how to time it. They know how to time plays. So those are the five Offensive habits, I think from a team standpoint, uh, I think are really important. Um what do you think? What is there one that sticks out to you, when you want to talk about, one that uh you know you as a player thought was really important?
1: I mean, for me, obviously net presence, because like my last seven years once I went to Europe, I just realized, oh, the pucks always gotta go to the net. If I just always stand there, I just got more points. <laughs> and 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 You said a couple things like, oh, no, somebody doesn't always have to be standing there. Um, That's very true, like moving around. But like just thinking, too, about like strategy. When you have a guy in front of the net while while your team is in the offensive zone, a D-man is going to have to stand next to you. So now you just opened up a little bit more space around that whole offensive zone. And if he doesn't stand next to you, then somebody could just rip it off your stick. It's a backdoor tap in. So so that means you're going to be sucking another guy in. So if it's a team that's playing like that overload defense down low, which at the higher levels, a lot of teams are doing that now. Now, at least you're pulling one guy out of that, you know, confusion pile up area in the corner where there's just so many bodies, it's hard to do anything. Um, So it does that on the power play. If there's a wide shot or the puck gets rimmed around you, you're the first one there, hopefully. Cause then retrievals on the power play, something that I've felt that, that I always tried to like make sure the power play units that I was on when I was over in Europe because I didn't play on them in the U.S. Um, was like, hey, we, you boys, we're not going to score every shot. Like we have to be very good on retrievals. So that guy in front of the net kicking it out to the corner guy back up top, getting him move around, get the guy the, the defensive team moving, like being in front of the net is so massively important. And then obviously screening the goalie like. And if there's one guy there, there's going to be a D-man there. Now there's two guys screening the goalie. So the more layers you add between the puck and the and the net, the harder it is for that goalie to be looking around. And now, bang, up top after I tip it in. What's up? Sally to the fans. So, um, I mean, that one for me, like, stands out right away that you said, just because for me, that was my game personally.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. One of the things we always used to talk about, Cornell, shape was huge on this, is uh, on the cycle. So if you are the guy that ends up in front of the net, Um, When the puck gets cycled down, like towards the net area is not going right away to the puck, like staying in front of the net, because you never know that guy might just turn around and shoot it number one. And there, then you're there for a second chance opportunity or screen or whatever. But also like once that puck kind of comes around the corner towards the, the, you know, the, the back of the net. Now, if you're just kind of waiting there and then you can use your body to get body positioning, that puck goes down. Now you go when the puck gets a little bit closer to the net instead of being at the corner, you're closer to the net and you can, you know, go one way or the other on that defender because he's kind of right on you. And now you're kind of dictating the play rather than the defense having the angle coming out like to the corner to, to kind of force you where he wants you to go. <laughs>
1: right. So that's right. something
0: that we were really, and we had a lot of success on that and we were a cycle team. Like we were a, a puck possession team down low. We were really good at it. And, and that was one of the things that was really important is just, you know, not being so eager when that puck gets cycled to get to the puck as quickly as possible, but kind of like using your body to shield that defender and then spinning off and either bringing it to the net or finding, you know, the guy coming down uh, through the slot. So that was a big part of it.
1: That leads right into communication and making plays and supporting each other. Like they all, obviously all these things are intertwined, but yeah, I mean, it, you have a good net presence. Like it's just easier to to go into those other things that you already named.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and again, like these are just, they're such small things, but if you focus on these things in practice, like especially at the younger ages too, just head up, like doing things in practice. So kids have their head up. All the time. I mean, it's just every good player, every great player is always scanning the ice, always playing with their head up, always looking for options, always reading the play, and uh, it's just it's, it's just things that just make the game easier for everybody. <laughs> you know, <laughs> Dude,
1: I mean, it's it's and and it's hard when you're young to do some of these things, but the more you force yourself to do them, the easier they will be when you're older. And I learned that the hard way. Cause I didn't do a lot of these little things. I mean, nobody was really teaching them, but like I never played with my head up cause I was just faster than everyone. And that caught up to me as I got older, like it, it did. And if, and you know, there were coaches you know keep your head up on your stick handle. And I just kept my head down and that hurt me as I got to the AHL at the highest levels. Like, you know, it was hard for me to, to express the whatever skill that I did have because I had to have my head down all the time. And it's like, man, I thought I just forced myself to have my head up every practice, it would have been way better.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And then the the last one I wanted to kind of talk about was timing. I just, I think timing is so important. It's one thing I'm going to incorporate. I, you know, I didn't coach this year, but I'll be coaching next year. Like so many of my drills, I want to incorporate timing because I really feel like kids aren't very good at it. I, I feel like from such a young age, they're told fast, 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 fast. And, again, there's an element to playing fast. There's no question about it. Attacking when the defensive team is, you know, right after a turnover, getting the puck up north fast so they can't get in their defensive structure, being able to think fast in small area games so you can put in these little small type situations and you're able to kind of think it through there. Like, that's really important. But when we're always preaching that and we're not teaching the kids to actually time plays Um, again, do a drill. I challenge the coaches here. The next time, if you're able to have a practice, whatever that may be, do a drill with timing involved where there's two players and one person has to do like a Gretzky escape on an entry. And then the second player has to time it. And I guarantee you eight out of 10 players will be way too far ahead to get that pass. And I see, so if you're on YouTube, you see it right now, but Jeff's just shaking his head because you know, it's true. And I'm sure a lot of the coaches, even the higher level coaches, like in college, like the kids weren't even great at this, but it's just having your head up and timing things so you can understand when to hit spots, when to jump through holes rather than being ahead of the holes so many times.
1: And and just like even the guy with the puck, like when to when and how to pull up in Gretzky turn. Like I would demonstrate it before the drill, like with our coaching with Barra and and, and Durso. All right, this is what we're going to do. We're going to do like, we're going to do a pull up and hit the late guy. They would come in full speed and not do like a pull up, like basically just do like a turn while moving forward and then try and pass it. And I was like, what did that do for you? Okay. They're like, they don't understand what I'm saying. And I'm like, all right, well, like, what is the purpose of pulling up to give yourself time and space? Oh. I didn't know that's why I was doing it. I was like, okay, well think while you're doing things first intention, but like make a fake. If you're coming down and you're right-handed coming down the right wall, wind up pump fake. Cause what's that D man going to do? He's going to go to block the shot. Now, when you make that big pull up, you just created time and space. Now the guy coming late, find the hole, find that time and space. Like it's so much about timing. Like you're so right. And, um, I think that the whole preaching fast, 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 fast—it's like, yeah, well, you got to be fast in the right times. And other times, you want to be slow. Is so that, that massive, massive.
0: You know, it's one play that I've seen quite a bit more lately. I've been watching a lot more hockey recently, and um, Patrick Kane is kind of like the, the gold standard at this. If we're talking about like Gretzky escapes, because I don't know, I don't know how many players actually do the gretzky escape now where like let's say they're a lefty coming down the right wing and they you know gretzky escape where they're turning their back to the play and coming up towards the blue line you know what i mean so i think what a lot of guys are doing now if if you're on your offsides or if you're lefty coming down the right wing you just kind of like put your so you kind of like change speed so you go quick and then you kind of stop and slow up and you go towards the middle of the ice rather than to the outside but a guy like Patrick Kane and more guys are doing this nowadays is because what happens, what does that defenseman do when you pull up? Stop and lunge at you. So he stops and lunges at you, right? So what you see a guy like Kane do, as soon as that guy stops and lunges at you, it's a Savard spinorama towards the outside because he's on his toes and he's coming up North at you. And now you're spinning around, doing a spinorama and you're cutting back and going toward the outside and coming down like as he's off balance and you can beat that guy Not maybe not necessarily to the net, but it gives you time and space to maybe able to make a play to the middle. Or if you're fast and you're good on your edges, you could beat that defenseman. It's just that, that like speed change um, that just kind of messes him up. I've seen a lot of that lately. It's something to incorporate, like when you're doing your practices and your practice plans, I would, I'm going to have my kids doing that. So they're, you know, they're changing speed, speeding up and then they're kind of delaying and then a quick spinorama and go. Well, I think we
1: talked. I think we've talked about this on the podcast before, but I remember when I was younger. It was probably Mr. Stasny or Paul or something like that where I picked it up from, but like every one-on-one drill, because I was, I was fast. and like, that's all I had when I was really young. I used to just try and beat guys wide. And if I didn't beat them, like, all right, drills over. Uh, and if I did, I go down and score. But like, I, I was like, all right, I need to like work on stuff. Like my hands aren't great. So like I would work on speed change. So sometimes I would get the puck and I would take off three strides and then like hit the brakes real quick. So I'd get that gap. And then start skating again. And I remember coaches when I was younger, be like, what are you doing? Like go fast. And I was like, I'm trying to like mess with this gap. You know, like I'm trying, I'm trying things. I'm trying to like learn. I'm trying. So like, kids out there and coaches if you're seeing this like don't be afraid to try stuff like that like mess with the time and space on the ice try and figure out ways where you can get that extra six inches that extra eight inches if you can get a that you know this much for the people on youtube seeing it now you can get around that stick to make the pass where if that man has that good stick pressure out but if you can get you know, that little bit of separation. Now you have a passing lane or now you have a shooting lane. Now you can get around to stick to shoot. So those little tiny details, those little game of inches, like they talk about in football that goes in hockey now too.
0: For sure. For sure. And and being able to manipulate them in any way that you can and changing speeds is one of the best ways to, to be able to do that. We're actually going to get into that in a little bit, but um, yeah, I mean, all around time it. <laughs> Um, that's kind of what we were talking about. We got a little tangent there. That's okay though. Yep. Think more. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. Ready to go to team defensive habits. Hi. All right. Team defensive habits. Here we go. Uh, okay. Number one is the same as number one for team offensive habits. It's it that's communication, being able to communicate on the ice, sorting things out, pointing it out. I got this guy, you got that guy. All, I mean, it just makes the game so much easier.
1: Why don't we go one by one here? So we don't skip them. Like okay. right, go communication the next. So like uh, what you just said, like sorting it out at the, the levels that I've coached, which is only, you know, like 10 year olds when I was still playing a long time ago. And then 16s and 18s the last two years. <clears throat> one of the biggest problems that that age group has is sorting it out on the rush. And it's as simple as I always say to the D man, like you're facing the guys coming up the ice you see everything. So as that three on two rush is coming at you, like you should be looking at your back checking forward and like point, like you could talk obviously, but talk and point, you see this guy coming wide, you take him, you take him, I got him. You're looking at your D partner, you got him. Now everyone knows who their man is. There's no confusion. Now it's not, you're stepping up on this guy while the back checkers also going to him. He just pops the puck to the middle. Now it's a two on one to the net. And it's literally as simple as killing it from a point and yelling like one thing. I got him or you, 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 me, me. Like it's so easy, but it's not because guys don't want to do it in practice. And from my experience, if you do not do it in practice, you are not going to do it in a game, no matter what level you're at, you know, even the best players in the world. Like I've asked this to to the the NHL guys that I trained KHL guys that I trained, how many guys have you played with? that can't that don't practice hard but are sick at the highest levels and they're like one out of a thousand at the highest <laughs> level so like i don't know why any of the kids think that they don't need to be talking during practice like a lot of, guys, a lot of guys in the
0: yeah a lot of guys in the ahl and the east coast league with that uh ability but not work ethic and that's DG. why they're there yeah exactly um yeah and even you know in the d zone too i mean a lot of times and, and now that the game is moving a little bit more towards positionless hockey. You're seeing a lot more D get up. Uh, you're seeing a lot more interchanges and, and a lot more flow in the offensive zone and on the rush and stuff. I mean, it just makes uh, communication defensively that much more important because it is, it's so easy to, for two guys to go to one and then leaving one person wide open. And when there's chaos in the defensive zone, I mean, communication is the easiest way to, to remedy that and just, Hey, I got him. You got it. Okay, good. Perfect. (laughs) You know? Um, So communication, communication. Uh, Number two is gaps. So great gaps. And when I talk about gaps, the way that we like to teach it is above and tight. So in your gaps uh, against the offensive player, it's being maybe a stick length away. So that's tight. Uh, And then above means just being on the defensive side of that person. And when you do that, you're taking away a passing option for the person that has the puck. So if the defense has the puck and he's bringing it up the ice and you're an F2 or an F3 or maybe a defenseman that's pinching up, being tight with that person, uh, being on the defensive side of that person. So if the defenseman does end up passing the puck to them, you're boom, just a stick length away, you can disrupt that pass and cause a turnover. So it's so, it's so hard to play against teams that are really good at gaps. It's so hard when you do the pre-scouts and you watch a lot of hockey and you recognize uh, an offensive team, turning the puck over a lot. A lot of that has to do with the fact that the other team is just, they're just tight. They're tight in their gaps and it's impossible to pass the puck when, when you're covered.
1: (laughs) So what do you do as an offensive team? What do you do when that happens? We got to move.
0: I mean, you have to have movement. Uh, I think that's the, the biggest thing. I mean, how easy is it to be above and tight on somebody that's not moving? Yeah. Oh, right so whether it's you know whether it's slicing through the middle when you don't have the puck or interchanging lanes um you know if you're in the neutral zone and things like that maybe it's blowing a blowing a person out um of the zone to try and create like you know going right at a defenseman so now maybe two guys are covering one guy um so there's just a little bit of a method of the madness but i think a lot of it has to do with movement and trying to create adverse situations that makes any sense
1: yeah, totally. I like the uh, the flip play too. When the yeah. team is going super tight gaps, when you're in your D zone, they're in the offensive zone. Like as soon as you see your D-man, like play, play some chess, you know that they're going to do that. So like tell the D-man, as soon as you get it, high flip right to the far blue line, just make it a race. You know, and obviously that's like more gamesmanship than like teaching kids how to play. No, the it's game. true but though. I mean, we're hey, talking a little more higher levels.
0: It's it's true. Yeah, no, it's for sure. This is like college and above or juniors right. above. Um, right. But yeah, like we had a very aggressive forecheck where our D, like our D, was up and and we were always above and tight and stuff. And that's what teams would do against us all the time because like they had no passing options. So it was either pass it to somebody that was covered or flip it out and try and go and and get it and and so we put an emphasis on uh on getting defensemen who can skate because um we needed guys that can go retrieve bucks because we were playing so aggressively uh on the floor and stuff and um i just yeah it's uh it's the gamesmanship love it
1: (laughs) yeah totally uh okay number
0: three stick pressure and angles i'll let you have this one because it's something that you talk about all the time
1: Yeah, I mean, we talked about Hastings at the beginning of the podcast, and uh, to this day, the only reason that I think I got to college hockey, to the AHL, to anything, played a long career professionally, is because my stick pressure was so good that that made me a good penalty killer, that made me a good four-checker, that made me me good at hockey, was my stick pressure. And I sucked at it my first year juniors. I feel like every video session I played for those 31 games, because I got hurt for half the year, was... Every shift that was on the ice, which wasn't many that year, was, go back out, yo, your stick's in the air. Because I was just trying to go <laughs> kill people and I didn't even know how to hit. That was like 170 pounds soaking wet. Never been on the fourth line before. <laughs> but it forced, I got my stick pressure dialed and man, like it changed hockey for me. I cannot explain enough, especially in the D zone, how important, even just having your stick on the ice when you're nowhere near the play. If you're that third guy in the slot, the forward, a weak side winger, just having your stick in the slot you will knock down so many pucks that'll just hit your stick where they're trying to sauce it to the D man cross ice. Like it is so important. Also, we've talked about this many times, but I know we get a new lot of new listeners every week. Like think about how long your arm is plus the length of your stick. Um, I mean, I don't I might be like, my arm might be three feet long. Uh, we're on youtube, we're on YouTube. Uh, <laughs> my arm might be three feet long and i used a stick that was like to the bottom of my nose i'm six two so that's probably like i don't say like four inches probably like five five eight plus a three foot arm so now i'm able to get to somebody cornell don't want that math is i'm not feet, even gonna try eight feet i'm able to get to a guy eight to nine feet sooner and have that stick on puck and he, it's hard to judge when somebody's coming at you with really good stick pressure. You think, Oh, I can get it over them. But if their blade is up and they've got that good pressure, they get on you so much faster. So in the D zone, c- closing that gap nine feet sooner is massively important. Massively important. Yeah, I, I literally, I cannot stress it enough.
0: Yeah. I, I used to talk about uh, a guy that I put, you might've crossed paths with him at some point, Ryan O'Byrne, does that name ring a bell?
1: oh burn sounds familiar so he i mean he
0: played a bunch of years in the nhl um but he was a class ahead of me at cornell so i played two years with him because he left after his junior year and he so he's six foot five and his stick was like (laughs) he just spilled (laughs) um so he's six five and his stick was that big too and so like legitimately going against him one-on-one it just it it wasn't even fair like you just you couldn't get around him because he was so good at angling you at where you want where he wanted you to go. Um, and it just it just like legitimately wasn't fair. Couldn't yeah, get around him. So it's, whether it's, it was uh whether it was down awesome. the ice on a on a rush, whether it was in the corner in a small area, you just it was impossible. You couldn't get around him. It was really Chara. It's like chara. Yeah.
1: You know, I, guys eleven feet tall and he's got a 14 and a half foot stick. Like he takes up the entire ice just by yeah. outstretched arm and stick pressure.
0: Yeah. Definitely
1: work on that. In the so how about couple. from,
0: a, how about from an angling standpoint? Like what do you think is important mm. when it comes to angling? If you're teaching kids?
1: Uh, so I always think about where do you want the player to go? Not I think like, and this is obviously very quick thinking and the more you do it, the better you get at it. It's, where do they want to go? And where do I want them to go? And how can I force them to t- to be in the worst possible position on the ice? So like if a guy's coming down the boards, where does he want to get to, to score the middle of the ice is obviously much better than shooting from wide. So now I'm thinking I got to keep him out of the middle of the ice. So I have to like kind of get above and then stay closer inside to the near post of whatever side he's on the ice. You always want to be able to have that angle back to the near post, not to the far post, because then he's getting off a better shot. So I just want to always think my angle is from the near post and then like an angle of straight line out from the near post to where I'm at, and I want to keep him outside on the outside of the ice, always keep him in the less, least, least dangerous possible spot on the ice he can be. So for me, I think it's just like, where do I want this player to go? And then if he does get a shot, I want to keep it as far away from the net as possible.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: How about you? I, like, I, yeah, I, no,
0: I think, I think you hit the nail on the head in terms of it's, it's basically trying to get that person to go where he doesn't want to go and where you want them to go. And that, right. that can be from a skating standpoint, but that can also be from a passing standpoint. Like you want to use your stick to angle the takeaway passing lanes as well. So if there's somebody, and it's again, reading the rush, What's the situation like? How many players do they have? How many players do you have? Uh, maybe on a four check, you're getting up. Maybe it's a team that likes to go up through the middle. So you're putting your stick in the middle. And that's, again, a pre-scout thing that you can talk about at the older ages. Um, but again, I think a lot of times it's, it's forcing them to go to the outside. You, you know, as an offensive player, you want to get the puck to the middle, to the dirty areas. That's where a lot of the havoc happens. So trying to keep them, using your stick to keep them to the outside um, and getting them to go where obviously you want them to go. I think that's a, that's a good way of teaching it. So, like that. All right, moving on. The next one that I think is really important. Number four on team defensive habits is back pressure. I think back pressure, again, you go back to being really hard to play against uh, back pressure is, is very hard to play against. So, what back pressure does also from a structure standpoint is when you have players back checking or tracking, whatever you want to call it, back checking hard, it allows your other defensive players to have tight gaps and be above and play aggressively on the players without the puck Uh, because it's almost like a safety valve. You know, somebody's coming back hard. If you get beat um, it's, it's not as big of a deal when there's players back checking as if there's no players back checking. So um, back pressure goes hand in hand with being able to play with, with tight gaps. And uh, again, especially when you're back pressuring through the middle too. Uh, that's something that we would talk about with our players all the time is you know, when the puck goes away from you, you're coming back hard through the middle because that's the, the guts of the ice that you want to take away. That's where the offensive team wants to go with the puck. Uh, that's where they want to create their offense and their havoc. So um, I just think uh, back pressure is a huge piece of that.
1: Yeah. And then thinking from an offensive standpoint, like I would urge everyone to watch like Datsuk steals, like watch Datsuk steal pucks on the back pressure. Like, It is unbelievable how much offense he created off of a back pressure steal. Like, and and you think about it as you're the guy coming down the ice, when you hear a guy coming on your back, now you're like, it's in your head, like, oh, he's coming behind me. And now the D-man's coming at you. Now you're kind of getting like sandwiched. And you're like, oh, ah, dump it. (laughs) You know? So like, it just, it forces the opposite team to make bad plays when you back pressure harder, which is going to lead to more offense. Everyone has more fun playing offense.
0: Yeah, for sure. And even like, if you have the puck too, and you have somebody that's hounding you from behind, like, again, what does an offensive player want? they want time and space. So when you have somebody pressuring the puck from behind, that's, that's hounding you. It takes away your time and space and you're not able to make plays.
1: Well, uh, I mean, we talked about him a lot, but I'll give another Hastings quote here. I remember he always said, and I I say this to my teams all the time. If you give a bad player time and space, you make a bad player average. If you give an average player time and space, you make an average player good. You give a good player time and space, you make a good player great. And then conversely, the opposite. If you take away a great player's time and space, you make him good. If you take away a good player's time and space, you make him average. Take away an average player's time and space, you make him bad. So that's how important time and space is. And he was saying that in 2004, you know, and it's even more prevalent, more important today. So it's everything.
0: It's everything, man. It's the reason why he wins. <laughs> Wins wins win, no matter what. Okay, lastly, uh the last one I have is being ready for transition. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> um so from from a defensive standpoint, like you're not just trying to not let the other team score when you're playing defensively. You're trying to cause turnovers and be hard to play against. Um and with that, you have to be ready to play offense. So just getting the puck back, I don't think is good enough. I think you have to be ready to get going and create offense. So I think when you instill that mindset and that habit in your players and practices, where it's like, okay, we have the puck now, now what are we doing? Like our job's not over when we've caused the turnover or the change of possession or whatever you want to call it. Like be ready to go, be ready in playoffs. It's just, I think it's a really important habit to have.
1: Yeah, like I think about, you know, I don't watch as much hockey as I probably should. Um, but like, I think about like tory Krug, like watch him play okay. defense. As soon as there's a turnover or as soon as he makes a turnover happen, it's like his feet, like get like stuck on the ice. And then he slingshots himself forward and he just goes to offense yeah. and it's just like sing Boom. It's like, I'm waiting. I'm waiting. He's like a, like a lion waiting to pounce and it's defense, defense, bam. There's map two Boom! pounces. And now it's offense. And now he's trapped two guys. Now it's a five on three going the other way for, four seconds, yeah. you know? So I, it's, uh, yeah, it's awesome.
0: Love it. All right. Let's, uh, let's move on to the next one. We're going to talk about forward habits. So as a forward, that's your position, left winger, center, right winger. Um, what are things and habits that are important for you um, as a forward? I think uh, again, it go back to the scouting standpoint. I uh, never want to recruit perimeter players. So getting the puck to the middle of the ice um, in the neutral zone, getting the puck to the middle of the ice, uh, you know, in the dirty area situations, when you're in the offensive zone, here hear Narado talk about it. I hear a lot of skill development coach talk about it all the time, get off the wall, get the puck off the wall. It creates a better angle for you uh, on the rush. Again, it, it manipulates. Now the defenseman has to move laterally. Again, the easiest way to defend somebody is that they're skating in a straight line down on the width of the ice, which is something that's important to talk about. I mean, you talk about it too. Like, if you're bigger, faster, stronger than everybody in peewee, and the coach allows you just to skate in a straight line and go score because you're just bigger, faster, and stronger than everybody, you are doing your players a severe disservice for when everybody catches up to them and they're not oh, no I longer.
1: I want you know, my 10 year old team to win this tournament. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. Um, so getting the puck to the middle of the ice, you know, and it kind of goes again with playing with your head up. Um, get the D off the wall, create a better angle for yourself in the middle, uh, in the offensive zone. Don't just be a perimeter player, get to the dirty areas. Um, I just think that's, it's so important.
1: And just like making better angles for plays on the ice, like you said, like for like shooting, but also like passing, like using the wall to pass is such an underrated skill. And like you can manipulate by stepping three feet off the wall, where does the D man go? comes with you off the wall now you got that guy slashing behind him now the pass off the boards is going to be at an angle where the slash guy can pick it up in stride whereas if you just stay right along that wall like if i'm on the side i'm like say right along that wall and now i try and bank pass it off the wall it's going right into the corner and dying in the corner now your guy can't pick it up and make a play he's got to go get it in the corner and get murked from behind so like create stepping off the wall creates better bounce bounce angles for the puck going off the boards.
0: Yeah, if Benny Sire listens to this episode, he is going to be extremely extremely happy. He he, does he loves talk about- he loves nothing better than a good indirect pass.
1: <laughs> yeah. yeah, I used to indirect pass to myself. Like it was my job. That's because I wouldn't stick handle around guys. I'd throw it off the back wall, beat the D man as he turned and walk into a shot. The That's a way
0: too. I mean, we're talking about good gaps defensively. Like if, if you have the puck and the person has a good gap on you and how many people can beat somebody one-on-one at the older ages, very, very few. doesn't happen. So a great play is, again, that guy's really up on you. It's a little chip off the wall to yourself and then try to beat him. And he's either going to beat you to the puck, which he's skating this way while you're going that way, or you're going to beat him, or it's penalty because you're going to beat him and he's got he's to hook you or hold you because you have the speed now. So, um, But one of the other things, uh, this is something I, um, I saw a lot – So when I was at Hardy's camp last summer, uh, Narado and Greg Moore, who was the head coach of the Steel at the time, now he's the head coach of the Marlies and the AHL in Toronto. Great, man. Yeah, and Brock Sheehan, who's the head coach of Chicago now, they were talking about how in Chicago they did a lot of drills, angling offense versus defense. And we as coaches so much talk about angling from a defensive standpoint. And we don't really teach it from an offensive standpoint, right? So it goes
1: back to... What do you, you mean, offense, offensive so, angling? What do you mean? I will get to it. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm, you're excited. you're I know, No, it's new. good. No,
0: so it, just think about it, and for everybody listening, think about on the ice. So, again, the easiest way to defend somebody is if they're going in a straight line down the ice, especially, like, along the wall, right? So one of the things that they were talking about, and it goes back to getting the puck in the middle, is if that person's trying to angle you towards the outside, skate right at them. Skate right at that player. Cause now you're taking away that player's ability to angle you to get them where you want to go. Cause if you think about it too, so you're skating the puck up the ice and there's somebody that's just kind of standing there flat footed. How easy is it for you to beat that person one-on-one like the only time you really can, especially at the older ages. So if you take that puck and you skate directly at that person, which is not typically (laughs) what you're taught now, you've completely taken away that person's ability to angle. And if there's time and space around that person, now that that angler is like, oh crap, what do I do? So they they did some angling drills like that where it's almost like you let them do the offensive player do their own thing and just kind of skate down the wall because that's what we're always taught to do. <laughs> and then they get angled and the defensive player takes the puck pretty much every time. And then you say, okay, now skate right at that guy. Skate right at that defensive player and it was amazing how many times the offensive player beat that defensive player. Kind
1: of like a deer in headlights. You're kind of yeah. like, you're always like, I got to angle. I got to, Oh my God, he's coming at me.
0: What? Yeah. The? Again, it goes back to Belfry and Nicholas. They talk about it all the time. It's you dictating the play. That's, that's what it is. It's you as the offensive player dictating where you want to go rather than the play being dictated and you being reactionary to where the defensive player is trying to get you to go.
1: I just started thinking about that text we had a few months ago with me, you and, and uh, the savage, Mr. Dunkin' Donuts, Adam Nicholas from Stride Envy, just talking about reaction versus the stuff. Yeah. It's awesome, uh, man. Yeah. 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 That's cool.
0: But I said, but I saw it, you know, like at, at Hardy's camp a few years ago or not a few years ago, last summer when we were actually doing the drills and you're, you're teaching the kids how to take away that defender's ability to angle you by kind of skating right at them. And it, it made a world of difference. I thought it was a really, really – and that's why I just love being able to, to talk to these guys about hockey because they just think it on such a different level. And It's so-
1: always trying to one-up the, the guy you're going against. Always try he's, – he's doing this. Well, now I know he's doing this. I'm going to do this to counteract what I know he's going to do. And then he's yeah. going to do that to counteract what he knows. And it's just like constant chess, like all the time. Like constantly be working your brain and thinking, what is he doing? What does he want me to do? What should I do to negate what he's trying to make me do? And like, just constantly thinking that way. But seriously, when I started thinking about hockey in my later years, like that stuff, like, okay, I know this guy wants me to do this. I'm going to look like I'm going to do this. And at the last second, I'm going to do something else. Like it it was just, it helped me so much. Yeah. In the computer. (laughs)
0: All right. Let's move on. Uh, Okay. Speed change. The next habit as a forward, how important speed changes. We talked about this a little bit already, but um, just being able to manipulate the defenseman by changing speeds. Again, you just think about it from a defensive standpoint, how easy is it to cover somebody that's going at one speed, even if you're going fast. Um, But again, what, what does speed change do? It gets you to do something that gets the defenseman to do something that you want them to do. Uh, and it co- almost goes back to that first conversation that we had with Patrick Kane doing that spinorama on the rush. You know, he's changing speed, stop, start. That's really, really hard to uh,
1: to defend. And for any any parents or or players or coaches out there listening, not really understanding why speed change is important, think about defending Toef. Toph. Toef's going full speed. So what are you doing? You're matching that full speed. Now as he's going out of nowhere, Toef hits the brakes. Well, you you can't hit the brakes right away. You didn't know he was going to do that. So now you hit the brakes a second later. Now he just gained eight feet of time to do something. And then when you stop, maybe he starts going again. And now maybe he passes you. Or now he pulls up and now he's turned away and he's powering out of that turn. So not only did he create an eight-foot gap, now he's skating out of that turn. So he turned eight feet into 12 feet. So, like, that's what what we're talking about with speed change. The whole goal of speed change is to manipulate space and time on the ice to try and create pockets of space and time.
0: For sure. And you can
1: do that from a team standpoint, too.
0: Like, that's why a lot of teams will slice a winger through, uh, through the neutral zone to create that gap in between kind of like the defenders and then the next wave of defenders where the forwards are. And so what that does, if you have a guy slicing through the neutral zone, they have to have a guy or maybe two guys, if they're not communicating right, that go with them, but now that player's gone all the way through, and now you have your second wave of offense coming up, and what are those people doing that just had to take the guy? They're standing still. So the, the speed change, the speed Belfry, speed differential, uh, that's the way that he talks about it. It's just, uh, you know, it's, it's very hard to defend players and teams that change speeds on the ice, and it's very easy to defend um, players that just keep going the same speed. So, um, number two speed change, uh, number three is manipulating the defender's feet. Uh, you hear a lot of, um, you hear a lot of hockey development guys, especially in the NHL talking about manipulating the defender's feet. How do you do that? Number one, you can do that through speed change, (laughs) but also you do that through deception with your body. So, you know, if I'm going to take my head and my shoulders and, oh, I'm going to the middle. Now you're going to force that defender to maybe cross over or go towards the middle of the ice. And you've sold that going that way, boom, now you're going the other way. And so just being able to manipulate the, through the speed change, which we've talked about, getting the defender on their toes when you stop or having to stop and then you go again. Um, but then also with your upper body, and you hear higher-level guys talking about separating your upper body and your lower body. So with the deception standpoint, it's like really selling a shot – or really selling you're going one way and then going the other way. That's something that Stan talked a lot about my, my youth coach for people who are new to the podcast, crazy Russian guy. he was amazing. Um, but he was always talking about manipulating the defenders, uh, before deception was a sexy thing.
1: Yeah, uh, totally. And pump fakes. Like I'm always talking to the kids about pump fakes, like hit a quick pump, fake. hit a quick pump fake. Like, What's that D-man going to do? His feet are going to go together because he's thinking block the shot. And the quickest the, – the, the, the way you could try and quickest block to quickly block a shot is to try and, like, get everything tight. So they suck their feet in. Well, now their feet are in. They have no power to go any direction at, at all for, like, a quarter of a second. So you hit that pump fake or you wind up and fake. They suck in. Now you take two strides. Now you have a shooting lane. So, yeah, t- anything you can do. It's always cat and mouse. <laughs> yeah.
0: All right. Number four, uh, scan, scan and shoulder check, scan and shoulder check all the time. Uh, wingers <laughs> on the breakout, uh, you know, scanning and, and shoulder check in to see where the defenders are coming. Are they pinching? Are they not pinching? Uh, in the offensive zone, uh, you know, scanning, uh, where the defenders are, uh, where your players are so you can find them in little pockets around the offensive zone. Um, shoulder checking on retrievals so you can get it maybe make a spin move and find a player in in the slot um, scanning up the ice if you're bringing the puck up the ice scanning up the ice what are my options what are my options what are my options so just playing with again it's kind of the same thing i mean it is the same thing as playing with your head up just a different way of verbing verbing it different way of
1: Herbalizing?
0: Herbalizing it. Thank you very much, Western Michigan.
1: Who Uh, went to (laughs) Ivy League school? Who graduated college? Uh, But hey, let's, let's take that even a step further doing it for your line mates, doing it for your teammates. If you watch the NHL or you watch the best players play, like I'll just use uh, D partners as an example. If if you and I are D partners and the puck is coming to you, the puck is going to Tofer. Me as Tofer's D partner, I should be looking at Tofer, scanning the ice. What's come out? Hey, you got one right on you, one right on you, one right on you, or you scan the ice. He's going back to get the puck. You're screaming time, 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 time. That helps that player make an informed decision like so much better and it's it's unselfish because it takes energy to do it for someone else but you can be unselfishly selfish because now he's going to make a better play that Jeez. maybe he gets you the puck now you have more time maybe you get an assist because you just talk to him like like just scanning for your teammates is massively important you're the guy in the middle on the breakout you're the center slashing through the guy on the walls getting a rim Instead of you just hoping he makes a play, be like, he's pinching, he's pinching, kick to the middle, kick to the middle. Or you got time, you got time, you got time. Like me as a guy who didn't have great vision, I would say to my line mates, if you guys want the puck, I need you to talk to me. (laughs) Look, look, I'll be a horse down low. I'll spin. They will never get the puck from me. But if you want it, you got to be yelling like where you are. And I won't even look. I'm good at listening. I'll find you, but you need to talk to me. You know, so, like, it is so helpful when your line mates, teammates scan guys on the bench. You know what drives me nuts? I don't know if we talked about this. When the play is coming by the bench and the boys on the bench don't talk to their teammates. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I lose that on my team probably over anything else because I'm like, that is a selfish play. You see, cause like it's usually you're coming up the boards and it's a winger who's about to get pinched on. He's right by the bench and he's about to get murdered and no one on the bench says anything. I will grab them by their shoulder pads. and be like, you help your linemate." mate. If you were about to get murdered with your head down, wouldn't you want somebody to yell heads up? Wouldn't you want to yell somebody to yell like coming from the middle? So guys on the bench, you can make your teammates better while you're on the bench by scanning the ice for them and yelling. And maybe because that D-man pinches, he hears that guy's coming on him, he rips it off the boards, breakaway goal. And it literally was scored because you yelled from the bench. The guy not even on the ice was a major contributor to you scoring. Yeah. So like constantly helping your team, everyone's helping everyone. People helping people. Yeah, ELE.
0: <laughs> I like that. Um, I, there's not much more to uh, say good and we're actually a couple of those things that you touched on we'll get to in uh in future habits <laughs> so i like it um, but i agree with you man i mean an active bench i think is so important so important. and just Not... to keep
1: keep the boys in the game too. exactly keep, keep, you, keep you motivated keep For you engaged sure. like keep talking like when kids come back to the bench and obviously your kids you got to learn these things you know i didn't learn this till i was older like come back to the bench and sit with your line mates don't sit with other guys sit with your line mates hey what are you seeing what are you seeing Oh, good. Talk to me there. So like if somebody did something that really helped me, I'd come back to the bench and I would positively reinforce my line mate. Hey man, thanks so much for yelling. I got you the puck easily because you yelled. Now he's going to want to do it more because he knows that I liked it and he got the puck. And I'm like, man, just keep doing that. I'll keep getting you the puck. And now he's doing it. So he's making me better by helping me get the puck and know where he is. And then I'm making him better because now he gets the puck in a better spot. So, again, like everything goes together. Like it's just help yeah, it each other out. Chemistry,
0: creates chemistry within a line. And I'll do a little bit of a tangent and then we can move on. But so you know, I obviously do team building a lot, it's one of the huge pieces of my business. And I'm a big believer that the better your culture is and the more your guys love each other, the better your bench is going to be and the more communication you're going to have on your bench. And so like, because I've been there as a coach, where the team wasn't really connected, they didn't love each other, and it's uh, it's a tough it's a tough thing to try and get your guys to communicate. It's just it's just the love for wanting to do it together and with each other is just just not really there.
1: Where does so that you, start?
0: I mean, it starts away from the rink. It starts with uh, what you're doing and your conversations and all that kind of stuff. So, hi, Paige. You want to say hi to everybody real quick? Yeah. Say hi. <laughs> COVID COVID. There you go. <laughs> we're all, we're all, this has happened to, to everybody as we go. I'm going to keep this in here. I'm not even going to uh, edit it out. I love it. Um, but yeah, it starts how you treat each other away from the rink, you know, um, as teammates, as, as leadership, uh, leadership. I mean, it's uh, it's all encompassing. And we've talked a lot about this on previous episodes, but uh, yeah, like we're, if we're talking about communication on the bench, if your team's not close, there's not going to be a whole lot of communication. It just doesn't even matter. Right? So, uh, okay, last uh, last habit here for forwards is make plays. Make plays. Just make plays. Offensively, defensively, make plays. Don't be a passenger out in the ice. Don't be afraid to make mistakes. Make plays. And for all the coaches that are out here, you know, winning a Bantam National Championship, uh, and, and dumping the puck in, or you know, playing it safe, or whatever. let your kids make plays. Let your kids figure it out. Let them make mistakes. Um, they're not going to get any better if if they don't have the the confidence to to be able to make plays up and down the ice, both again offensively and defensively. Um, so it's it's a habit that all forwards need to have: make
1: plays. And even if if you focus on that stuff, especially in the beginning of the season, especially when they're younger they will win more games when it matters Yeah, because you're focusing on the things that are hard to do. And at the end, and they're hard to defend. So like focusing on those things in the beginning of the year will wind up big time results at the end of the year.
0: For sure. Well said, my man. All right, let's move on. Uh, defense habits. So defense habits, the first one we'll talk about, and this isn't defense as in team, this is like defenseman, you're a lefty You're a righty. Uh, the first one is work to skate and earn your gaps, have to work to skate and earn your gaps. So what I mean by that is so much of the time as coaches, we talk about getting up in the play from an offensive standpoint. So when there's a turnover, you know, got to be that fourth layer or that second layer, that fourth man or woman in the rush. Well, when you're getting up, yes, that's true from an offensive standpoint, but when your D get up and get up in the play too, that means if your team turns the puck over now, you're already in a better position to gap up on the, the team that now has the puck rather than being so far back and allowing all that time and space for the other team to get the puck and come up the ice. And, and then you're, you're done from a change of speed standpoint, because you're pretty much going to be standing still. You can't, you can't match the other person's speed. So getting up in the play to work and earn your gaps um you know from an offensive standpoint in the play to be that second second wave but also earn your gaps so when you think about that
1: and just uh, I think too like another layer of that is like when you're in the offensive zone and like don't don't hang unless like you have your team has the puck you're trying to find space but like don't hang out at the blue line when their forwards are way down low squashing down on your forwards taking away their time and space so now if the opposition winger gets the puck he's got 15 feet of time and space you get up closer now like you talked about earlier that gap it sucks being the winger when the d-man you get the puck and he's already on you like there's nothing harder to play against than that it's so not fun um and then like if for some reason your team pops out of the corner with the puck now you're 15 feet closer to the net to jump in a hole and try and rip a quick shot so um again that's just gap control gap control Happening it
0: i'm thinking about dinner for schmucks you ever seen that movie yeah but only like once mind control versus brain control steve steve carell is like my favorite actor in the world yeah, he I so okay number two is support your partner and this kind of goes back to what you were talking about before so benny sire who worked with rd at cornell's i mean i haven't worked with that many people but i have to imagine he's one of the best in the business uh he would talk about you are your partner's lifeline so working hard to get back from an effort standpoint to skate to get back on retrievals to help your partner out and then communicating with your partner on where you want them to go with the puck. So it just makes the game. We talked about this already, and you you, you mentioned it so eloquently a little bit before. I mean, as as the person who's not going back to retrieve the puck, but that person's partner. To me, you are the most important person on that retrieval because you're helping your partner out. Again, how much does it suck as a defenseman to go back and get a retrieval after the the other team dumped the puck in and you know you're going to get hit. You know you're being hounded by an F1. But if your lifeline, your D partner can tell you where to go and that person has worked hard to be in a support so they can provide you with a pass. It just—it's uh, everything. So D support your partner from a communication standpoint, and also from an effort standpoint to get to a spot where you can support them,
1: and get in the four checkers' way. Oh, Especially if, off, you're, yeah. if you're close if to you each can. other. Yeah. If you're close to each other, like a hundred percent, get in the forwards' way. Like because two two reasons. One, it gives your D men more time and space, which we've already went over a lot in this podcast. What it'll do for you, and two. When you do that, it gives your demon a little more time and space. And then that four checker is going to work even harder. He's going to be like, ah, I got to work even harder to get around. So he'll go towards you and now you can peel off easier and you just create more time and space for yourself when your partner reverses it to you. So like multiple reasons, selfishly and self unselfishly to get in that four checkers way. Obviously you can't do it in a way you're going to take a penalty, but, you know, just the uh, oops, he got in my way, you know, that whole thing.
0: Yeah, I think that's something. So I actually just did a webinar for the people that have joined our um, kind of like all access vault series. So if, if you're not familiar with that, actually, I can plug it right now. So we have obviously our hockey think tank site, the hockey But we also have an all access site um, where you can get even more information. So uh, we have a, a team of five people. People, including myself, uh, that do live webinars. So you can go on and we can actually talk some hockey. Um, we have drills. We actually have over 20 division one, uh, coaches that put their favorite drills on there. So there's a nice little drill share. I do some whiteboard videos and things like that. Um, so the, the webinar that I just did. So if you want to look into that, go to access.thehockeythinktank.com. Um, and, uh, it's phenomenal. If, if you're looking for more information, to get better as a coach or a player. Um, But the webinar that I just did last week was on winning the neutral zone. And so we talk about being tight and above in your gaps defensively in the neutral zone and how important that is and how hard it is to play against. But it goes hand in hand with screening off for your defender. So if you're tight and above and the other team is forced to dump the puck because you're tight and above, stay a little tight and above for an extra second. And don't allow that forechecker to get in on the defenseman because that extra second, that extra half a second that that player now has to make a play is so, so important. So it's not even necessarily just the other D-man that can screen off for their partner. It also could be uh, from the neutral zone screening off a little bit, half a second to a second uh, as well if you're a forward.
1: Totally. Got nothing to add to that because that's
0: perfect. (laughs) Totes my goats. Uh, Okay, so that's number two. Uh, Number three, I have uh, shoulder check deception on retrievals. So, again, we we talk about playing with your head up all the time. Always play with your head up. Always be shoulder checking when you're going back to get retrievals. It's one of the most important habits that you can have as a defenseman. Uh, And then have some deception when you go back to get the puck. And What I mean by that is take an angle when you're going back to get the puck if you can. And then what a lot of what a lot of D men are doing. If you go and you watch an NHL game now, um, you'll see them go back to get a puck, and they'll curve their skates one way, and they'll make their body look like they're going one way, and then boom, they go back the other way. Especially if that F one four checker is right on them, because uh, that deception is is everything. Trying to get the the four checker to again think you're going one way, and then go a different way. So it's uh, just two very very important things as you're going back to retrieve pucks. Uh, if you want to be a good player, if you're somebody that's looking to get scouted, want to get to the next level, the ability to break pucks out is one or two on every scout's list and um, what they're looking for, for a defenseman. And if you can be able to, to show that deception and shoulder check to provide yourself more time and space to make plays on that breakout, it's gold.
1: I love gold. <laughs> I love gold. I can't do it right now with my raspy voice. But, um, Totally. And I love what you said about like, and it also adds a layer of deception. Like, again, playing the cat and mouse game back and forth and back and forth. As I would go back on a D man, if I see him shoulder check to the right as we're getting close to the puck and we're, I'm sprinting after him, he's sprinting to get to the puck. And then he shoulder checks to the right again, just instinctively, I'm going to be like, he's going right. You know? So, like, if he does it once, then he does it again right before he gets the puck, I'm going to cheat a little bit to the right. So, maybe he's so like a good D man, they'll do that. They'll be like, boom. And then they'll kind of angle their body, and right as they get to the puck, turn to the left because I'm already cheating to the right watching what he's doing. But he knows that I'm watching. So then he goes to the left. So again, not only are you scanning the ice, shoulder checking, you can be a little deceptive by your shoulder checks.
0: Yeah. And I think one thing too, when we talk about, I don't even know if it's called deception, but one of, the, oh my God, one of my biggest pet peeves in hockey. One of my biggest pet peeves. I don't know if I've talked about this before. I'm sure I have because it rattles me so much. Now I'm pausing for dramatic effect. (laughs) I am excited.
1: Dot, dot, dot. What is it? It's probably uh... something I do daily, so I'm excited. (laughs) So one of the things that
0: really (laughs) rattles me is when a player skates the puck to a player and then passes it to said player on your team. And brings all the defensive players over to that, that area man. of the ice. And it just – so like for a defenseman, when a defenseman skates the puck to their partner and then passes the puck to their partner, it just it, – it rattles me so much. Or if a defenseman skates a puck up to the winger on the breakout and then passes the puck to the winger. Because like, okay, they get in
1: trouble. What, what am trouble. I going to do with it?
0: Right? Like what am I going to get I, – I can't do anything with the puck right now. I have no time and space. So it goes to it on the retrievals and to the deception niche is if you get the puck and you shoulder check and you know, you're going to go, uh, maybe it's uh, off the wall behind the net indirect pass to your partner, you know, maybe taking a step or two up the wall, up your wall, up your side, bring the four checker with you that way, bring the F two over just maybe a hair coming that way because he thinks you're going that way with the puck and then passing the puck the other way. So now your D partner has more time and space to be able to make a play. Uh, Even in the neutral zone, like if you're skating the puck, skate the puck towards the wall maybe, and then pass the puck over to your partner. Don't take two – and and again, you see it all the time, even in practice. I'm going to take two crossovers towards my defense partner and then pass it. No, don't do that. Either pass it to him right away or look up to – if you're a left defenseman, look up to your left winger – And then pass it over to the right defender.
1: Like that clip that you put on that girl uh, from college hockey recently, she skated up on the power play. I think she wound up making a sick backdoor slap shot pass up the ice and she looks to the middle. She takes a crossover with her right leg to the middle. You just see, you can't really see because of the, the, the camera angle in the college hockey game. But, you know all the penalty kills shift, shift this way I and mean, then she dishes it wide yeah. and it's like it was one step one stick handle to the middle that just as a penalty killer i'm like oh oh man now i got to twist my body and go that way yeah. it is so massively important
0: yeah and i think first of all it wasn't a college hockey game it was a pw oh yeah that's
1: right it was PWHPA. so that's they
0: right. they did sponsor our uh, our outstanding women hockey week. Yeah. so i think we should probably say yeah. that you know what I meant. You know what I meant. <laughs> um, but no, it was Breanne Jenner. She was a Cornell hockey player, Canadian Olympian, unreal. Um, but yeah, it's just, uh, I, I, man, I get so rattled when people when players skate the puck to who they're going to pass it to. It's just like, oh my gosh, crazy. Anyway, so let's move on. I think we beat that one now. Uh, so number one, work to skate and earn your gaps, get up in the play. Number two, support your partner through communication and, and uh, puck support. Number three, uh, shoulder check deception on retrievals. Number four change your shot lanes and be active on the blue line, right? Don't just stand in one spot. It's easy. You were a winger. If you have a defenseman that stays in the same spot, you are the easiest person to defend because now the puck gets back to you. Boom. I am in their shot lane. I have nothing else to do, but block that shot or even get out on you, whatever it may be. So as a defenseman, it kind of goes back to scanning the play and shoulder checking all the time as well. So when you're at the blue line, you should always be looking at, that winger and where that winger is and getting in a spot where now if you get a pass and you can shoot the puck right away you have an open shot lane right to the net rather than having that winger right in your lane so that's number one being active on the blue line and then also now again going back to positionless hockey especially in the offensive zone uh d are so much more active now uh and and also you're seeing a lot of D when they get the puck up at the blue line are being so much more active to try and change that shot lane to get around that winger. Because I mean, so many teams are emphasizing blocking shots. Now you have to be active on the blue line to change your shot angle and to change your shot lane to get pucks through. So you see guys that are really good. Like, I think, um, Quinn Hughes is so good at it from Vancouver, just using his edges to change his shot lane up top of the blue line. Um, I just think it's such a massive skill to be able to have and and always having your head up and looking to where those shot lanes are. So, so important.
1: Yeah, and and like we talked about before, for guys who want to score more goals, ask goalies, what do they see? Same idea for a D-man on the point. Ask the wingers in practice you're going against, like, what are you seeing? Like, why are you blocking my shots? Or is it hard to block my shots? And me as a winger, I'll give you the perspective as a winger covering the D-man. If I got a D-man who's standing still there all the time, it's so easy for me because I know when he, when he gets that puck, I'm in the lane, so I can just sprint straight at him. But, but for the people watching on YouTube, if, if a D-man's got the puck and he's kind of moving or he's a guy who's gonna move, if he gets the puck and I want to sprint at him, if he moves to the left, I lose the, the straight line from behind me, which is the net, to where the D-man is. So like I'm always thinking, where's the net? Where's my D-man? I've gotta be in this. But if he starts moving that way, I'm going out at him. And now I also got to turn. So now instead of me be going on a straight line where if he was there, I'm going that way. I'm between the puck and the net and between the puck and the net, between the puck and the net. If I get, if he gets a puck and he's moving as he has a puck, I'm going away from the net And now I've got to turn and now I just lost my angle to take away what the puck sees to the net. And it's like impossible then to re-get the angle as you're going out on the D-man to block that shot. So D-man, like moving one foot, moving two feet as you get the puck. It is very hard for a winger, uh, especially a younger winger, to understand how he has to manipulate his movements so that he stays between the puck and the net. Like you will get so many more shots through by getting some movement and pump, pump the other, pump.
0: Yeah. The other thing too. Um, and this is something that shrimp, talked about when we had him on the podcast, when he was talking about the power play, but also this is something that Stan would talk to us all the time about uh, is your stick has the eyes of the puck, not your eyes. So as a defenseman recognizing where that winger is in the shot lane, because he might be in your shot lane, shin pad on your shin pad, but that means you got a freaking open lane to the net because the puck is on your stick and your your stick is what sees what's going on when you have the puck. So you got two feet, you know. <laughs> You're so happy we're putting one of these on YouTube, aren't you? <laughs> and you Idiot. you came sleeveless to this this that was an accident no, i didn't I even tell gym, you we were bro. doing i was in the gym
1: sweating before this
0: <laughs> no I was, I was gonna say i didn't i didn't ask you to do this on youtube until oh, yeah, uh, yeah. until yeah. we got on so
1: yeah.
0: um but your stick is the one that has eyes and even as a, as a defensive player too understanding that if you're trying to line up your your shot lane to take away the shot lane you have to line up with that player's stick not with the, their body
1: uh-huh. And and to go even deeper on that, again, like asking other players, like goaltending coaches, they started doing using that idea is they put an iPad behind the stick of a shooter in a goalie session, like a goalie coaching session. So they set an iPad behind where the puck is so that they can show the goalie. This is what the puck sees. This is what it's the puck angle is seeing looking at the net. So it's not what the player sees. It's not the goalie balancing their uh, angle off of the player's body. It's off of the puck. So the same idea, you as a shooter. It's not what I see. It's I have to know what the puck sees from that angle as the guy checking the D-man who's trying to shoot it. It's not where is his body. It's where is the puck. I got to be between the puck and the net, not the D-man and the net. I would encourage everyone to like go to YouTube and look up like goalie coaches with iPads. I don't know how, what you would search. Or like uh, my buddy Luke Venker always puts that on, on Instagram. Uh, I think it's three E goaltending on Instagram. He'll put the video up of what the puck is seeing. And it is way different than what a player is seeing. So guys who are trying to score more goals, look at that. And it'll help you kind of like learn what the puck's seeing versus what you see.
0: Yep. Love it. Uh, cool. All right. So that's number four. And the last one is the same as the last one for the Fords make place as a defenseman, make place. Don't be afraid to turn pucks over. Um, you know, a lot of times, again, we're looking at one of the best ways that I, um, from a scouting standpoint, um, I was having a conversation with a guy named Tony Gasparini who's a coach with uh, LA or a scout with LA and he's, he's awesome. Really, really good at his job. And he, he talked to me from a scouting standpoint about watching defenders like you're watching a quarterback. Okay. So most of the defenders, they can make the first read, right? So I'm coming around the net, my right winger's open. I'm going to pass the puck to my right winger. Like that's an easy play for the defender. Okay. But let's say your first option as a quarterback is taken away. So the defenders up on that player. Okay. What can that defenseman do next? can he find the next best option? So can he, if my winger is, uh, is, is covered, can he find the centerman, right? Can he find go cross ice and find the left winger? Is it the right play to reverse it back to his defensive partner? So it's like as a defenseman and as a coach, you have to encourage your players to find that second wave. But a lot of times that's a more dangerous play. You know, if you're putting the puck up the middle, it's a more dangerous play. Um, you know, might turn the puck over, whatever it may be. Um, but D men have to have that ability to find that second option. If that first option is taken away, I just thought it was a really interesting way of thinking about it. And they've drafted some obviously incredible defensemen in LA over the past 10, 15 years. Um, so yeah, I just, uh, just let your kids make plays. They're going to turn pucks over. That's okay. It might end up in the back of your net at some point, but again, go back to it as a coach, you should be evaluated on how much better our players are in April than they were in September. And so if they're turning pucks over in September, but they're making those plays now in April that they weren't able to, you just made a player better and you've just given that kid a better option to get to the next level, make, make plays with plays. And And defensively make plays too. Like, don't just sit back and be a passenger defensively. Like, be aggressive on people. Get up on your gaps. That's another thing. We got to encourage our defensemen to get up on their gaps. You know, that's making, to me, that's making a defensive play. Just letting, like, staying back because that's the easy thing to do is not going to make you a better hockey player. You know, make plays defensively. Have your stick down and engage players in the corner. Don't just stand in front of the net and take the middle away. Um, Get up on your gaps in the neutral zone, on the forecheck um like I just that to me that's making plays too it's not just the offensive side of things it's the defense of being engaged as well
1: totally agree totally agree I, I really hope parents listen to what you just said about uh how to gauge how a coach does it's not about wins and losses for youth hockey it's did each individual kid get better throughout the year from start to finish and uh, then the team also but like yeah just but
0: but but at the same time like it is about wins and losses because your team is going to be better when the game (laughs) you know they're gonna win yeah that's that's. if you're
1: focusing on wins in september like calm down like this is youth hockey we just want the kids to get better by the end and then when they do that then the wins also happen to follow
0: yeah yeah for sure anyways okay so uh so we've gone through four of the five team offensive habits team defensive habits forward position habits, defense position habits, and now we're going to go to attitude habits. Because I think these, these might be the most important things because the way that your mindset is as a player is going to determine your confidence, is going to determine how you play. And when you have the right attitude and the mindset going into a practice, going into a game, it's going to make you that much better as a player. It's going to make your team that much better as a team. So you're, you're at, And your attitude is not something that you can turn on and off. It's not like you can't turn on and off your compete level. You can't turn on and off your communication and your energy levels. Like you, it's something you have to do all the time in your preparation and being consistent in, in your attitude and your mindset. So, um, I have five things for this now. The first one is competitiveness. And we've talked about this at length, but I think it's from an attitude standpoint, a mindset standpoint. Again, I look at this through my scouting lens I am not recruiting or scouting anybody that doesn't have a high-end compete level. Just not going to do it. Compete level to me. And again, we've defined it. It's not grit your teeth, run people, be physical throughout the wall. It's showing a passion for the game, being hard to play against, wanting to win your one-on-one battles, uh, wanting to win your one-on-one races. That's like, what, if you're a scorer, wanting to score every time the puck gets on your stick, like that's how competitive comes out And and you have to have that consistent competitiveness from an attitude mindset standpoint, if you want to be a great player. And from a team standpoint, you have to have a team competitiveness. If you want to have a great team and a fun team.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it's fun. again, uh, this is hilarious. I'll bring up another Hastings quote, (laughs) just call this the Hastings episode, (laughs) but, uh, I remember him always being like, because we fought in practice all the time, which I, you know, that was a different time. So obviously, you can't compare apples to oranges. Um, but uh, it was like, if you're gonna if you're gonna fight your brother, what are you gonna do to your your enemy? You know, if you're willing to fight your brothers, if you're willing to battle your brothers day in and day out, what are you guys gonna do when you're when you're together on the same team and, and you're going against the opponent, the enemy, the other team you're playing that night? Like, how much harder are you gonna go against them after you beat each other up? And you survived it and you got stronger together. So like, I just, I love competing. And I, you know, are, are you going to run faster on your own? Or are you going to run faster when somebody's chasing you? You're going to run faster when someone's chasing you. No doubt about it. 10 out of 10, 100 out of 100. And that's competing. So, I mean, it's the competing is the basis of everything I want to do every single day. I want people to push me to be better than I thought I could be.
0: For sure, man. And the other thing too is like, I I agree with you so much that the harder you compete in practice the easier the game is going to be and I distinctly remember my freshman year at Cornell it's your first year in college hockey so obviously things are different but our team we were different like we really competed hard against each other in practice and and I remember at some point during the first month of the season being like in a game this is legitimately easy this is legitimately easy and we had, you know, quite a few guys that were NHL draft picks, quite a few guys that went on to play in the NHL and play pro hockey. And and we competed so hard. I'll never forget our first skate as a team without the coaches because the coaches can't get out on the ice with you until later on when you're in college. And, uh, you know, so it's just like a scrimmage, right? You just scrimmage in with, with the guys. So you think it's kind of like a shinny game. And I remember... It was like a three-on-three legitimate like, rugby scrum in the corner of the Zamboni. And the bench that I was on was facing it. And then another couple guys on the bench were like, yeah, get up! I'm like, ah. And I'm like, whoa! And But it was just, that's who we were. And we were number one in the country going to the NCAA tournament. We were a goal away from the Frozen Four. We won the ECAC championship that year. This is on YouTube. People can see that. <laughs> I, <forgot. laughs> I totally forgot. Um, but, dude, like, that was the reason why. I mean, you that know, was, the dude. I, why. You know, I'm messing with you. I totally I know. Totally, but, totally, uh, totally. I just, agree. I just, I mean, you can find that consistent competitiveness in practice, man. I mean, it makes you so much better as a player. Uh, and we've talked about it, too. Like, if you're not competing and you're not bringing your all in practice to me, that is one of the most selfish things you can do as a player because you're not making your teammates better.
1: Well, you know what I think about, think about when you go out there and you get, you play in a team with a goalie who doesn't really try, Oh. And it's and and they're they're just standing up the whole practice. It's so selfish, and I absolutely hate. That. Obviously, if they're injured or something, yeah, totally. But like just talking about normal, the goalies who just think they're so sweet and they don't gotta try. Everyone in practice hates them. No one wants to shoot on that guy. And then, well, then I'll start a fight because I'll start shooting at his throat every <laughs> shot. And I'll <laughs> tell my guys, hey boys, hit him in the head, hit him in the head. Let's rip it at his head if he's not gonna try. F this guy. Let's go, you know. And then I'm going and to then fight from-
0: from the other from the other standpoint, when you get to junior hockey or you get to college hockey, now you got three goalies on your roster. Maybe not junior hockey; they carry two. I think they just carry two now. But when your third goalie, like who knows, he's not going to play, is like battling in drills. Boys love him. Oh my god! But to go to go back to the other side, so I want to put in a positive there. But going back to it, you talk about a goalie not competing hard. Also, if your most skilled players don't compete hard in practice. That also is a recipe for an absolutely toxic team. Like if your best players are dogs in practice, especially if the coach doesn't hold that person accountable and doesn't bench them or put them in the stands or whatever it may be, you have no chance of winning zero chance of winning. Yep. like your best players have to be your most bought in from a compete standpoint look at Crosby why is Crosby won so many cups why is I'm just won so many cups <laughs> you know like Ovechkin finally got it you know like he understands um what that means now and he won a cup um Anze Kopitar I mean you you look at it like the captains of these teams the best players look at Boston Bergeron and Marshawn I mean you you've skated with those guys you know them like you ha- your best players have to be bought into competing hard or else you're done. You have no chance.
1: Totally agree. Well, right. I was going to bring up Crosby immediately. I actually used him as an example with my pro group um, w- with their practices they were doing in the NHL guys before they were going. And I'm like, you know, I don't, I don't work with them on the ice cause I'm in the gym back to back to back to back to back sessions all day. But I'm like, boys, like I'd rather you, I would rather you skate for a half an hour, especially right now with those guys having to go into real practice starting next week. I was like, I'd rather you go out there for half an hour and be very detail-oriented and just murder each other and just go super hard or work on very specific details and then play 10 minutes of three-on-three cross ice rather than just go out there and play three-on-three cross ice. And I said, just literally go on YouTube and watch Sidney Crosby, Brad Marchand, Nathan McKinnon, Summer Skates like they're murdering each other we're going a hundred it's game seven in the corner and it's July, you know, and they're, they're starting in September. Obviously they're not doing that five days a week in the summer. That's we're talking about, <laughs> but it's but like, intentional. You talk it's, about intention all the time. It's yeah. intentional practice instead of being out there for three hours and just eh, going it. through. No, it's a shorter, very intention based practice. Yeah,
0: for sure. So competitive compete. Attitude, habit, compete, compete, compete. Number two, attitude, habit, and we talked about it before, bench. You have to have a great bench. You have to be positive on the bench. You have to be energetic on the bench. You have to be engaged with what's going on in the play when you're on the bench. And and, uh, I talk about it in my team building seminars when I go around to these teams all the time. You think about it, and you were a player at high level. When you're on the bench and the other team blocks a shot and the other bench goes bananas – what happens?
1: Yeah, it's kind of deflating for your,
0: deflates <laughs> your bench big time. Yeah. Cause now you're looking across at that group and you're like, man, they love each other. They're bought in. And then you're thinking, is our team like that? <laughs> you know, and sometimes they are, and sometimes they're not, but you can, you can legitimately see it as a coach at the higher levels. Cause I've been on a few teams where guys, like I said, guys didn't love each other. And we're all in, and I've been on a few that were, and as a coach, when you see it, when you don't have it and the other team does you're done you're absolutely done but how fun is it on the bench when your team does have that whether you're a player or you're a coach at any level forget about just like the highest levels think when you get to pro hockey it's a little bit different you don't have guys up and down and hooting and hollering and all that kind of stuff like it's just not kind of how it is but i guarantee you like somebody gets cheap shotted in in the nhl And you got 19 guys or not 19 guys, 15 guys on the bench that are pissed off about it and up and they're chirping at that guy. That says something as opposed to an NHL team when somebody gets cheap shotted and everybody just kind of sits there and doesn't really care. Like you've probably been on pro benches where both of that happens.
1: Oh dude. Yeah. I mean, I played with Steve McIntyre, (laughs) Steve McIntyre would stand up for every single guy on the team. And, the game was completely different when he's in it and he's not. I mean, we've talked about that before. Yeah. And the teams that the guys all care, each other, care about each other, all have each other back. They're going way further than every other team. No doubt about that.
0: Yeah. And, and I think the bench is such a it's such a microcosm of your entire culture as a team. I think teams that are bought in, I think teams that are, that, that again, that have that love for each other, they, as a byproduct, typically have a great bench. And the teams that
1: don't, they don't. And you can see it and everyone loves positive reinforcement and not when it's fake not not manufactured oh, yeah. not fake stuff but like when you come back to the bench and the boys notice that you took a hit to chip the puck out that created even if it's not a goal that just created whatever and you come back to the bench and you know, and guys noticed it and they're like do way to take that hit and make the chip like yeah like love it like you want to do it again And then they want to go out there and do it and you give them the, you know, give give them the tug back and everybody's tugging everybody. Everybody's happy. Like it's, (laughs) you want to do more good, positive stuff. Yeah, for sure. You know, it's contagious. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Yeah. It's the energy is contagious, the good energy and the bad energy. So the more good energy you can have with each other, the better it is and the closer your team is, the more good energy you're going to have. Um, so work at it. Uh, number three, growth mindset, have a growth mindset, be coachable always understand that there's a way to get better the best players we talked about crosby before crosby the reason why he's so good is he's always getting better uh, marty saint louis who we had on the podcast if you're new to the podcast go listen to this go listen to that one he <laughs> you <YouTube>. too <laughs> um like he i wasn't the strongest i wasn't the fastest i didn't have the hardest shot but i was the best at getting better and that's what he accredited what, what a quote what a quote, right? That's what he accredited his Hall of Fame career to, was he was the best at getting better. And so if you have a growth mindset when you're coming to the rink every day, whether it's a practice or it's a game, hey, this is an opportunity for me to to get better as a player. uh, Be coachable, accept criticism. Um, Those, I mean, it's just, it's really important. I mean, growth mindset's kind of a term that's been thrown around a lot without people really understanding what it is but i mean you can define it in different ways for me it's just an openness to to always understanding that there's a way to get better
1: i love it i I, that quote is like the best quote ever i was just the best at getting better yeah well do that done like dinner
0: (laughs) all right uh number four when it comes to attitude habits for me this one is really really important and that's ownership take ownership for yourself and your development as a team take ownership for your play and for your development. And it's not excuses. It's not because this or that or the other thing, like you are in control of what you do. You're in control of your thoughts. You're in control of your actions. You're in control of the way that you treat people. You're in control of your attitude and your work ethic. If you take ownership and understand that it's in your control to, to get to where you want to go, both as an individual and as a team. Um, I mean, what's more powerful than that? Nothing. And what's less powerful than when you feel like everybody else is out to get you. I mean, that's just, that's just a recipe for your career and your season. If you're a team going down the absolute drain is when you succumb to thinking that it's not in your control. It's the circumstances, it's the situations, it's other people, blah, 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 blah. No, 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 no. One of the best things for your own development and for your confidence and for everything that you want to be as a player is taking ownership and understanding that you are in control of what you can do. Now, does that mean you're going to get to where you want to get to every time? Does that mean you're going to win every game? Does that mean that everything always goes according to plan, even though you're taking ownership for it? No, absolutely not. It's not but still understanding that the way that you react to the things that happen to you and the way that you bring what you bring to practice on an everyday basis, that's, that's everything.
1: 1% what happens to us and 99% how you react to it. doesn't matter. You all, you don't have a choice to, to, you don't, you can't always choose what happens to you around you for you, et cetera, but you can always choose how you react to it. And you could say, Oh, that's cliche. No, that's true. It's true, ask anyone who's made it and who's gone through the hard times and battled through the muck and the you know all the crap and they got to the top of the mountain it's because they reacted in the way that they needed to to be successful, yeah,
0: yeah, for sure man um so before before I go on to this last one here, so this, this might be our longest one that we yeah have. I was just gonna say <laughs> it's not long nobody's gonna watch this bro that's all right. Hey, hey. that's all right <laughs> <laughs> um. But either way, so before we get to the last one here, I do want to circle back to something that I think, again, I, I never do this, but I just think it's so important, especially because of the times that we're living in right now. And that's the charity fundraiser that we're doing for Racker Centers, which is a school for, for kids with special needs in our area here. Um, it's a charity fundraiser that we do every year, not able to do it with COVID this year um, from a physical game standpoint. So we're taking our competition to uh, to a fundraising standpoint. Um, if you can, again, uh, this, whether it's 50 cents or whether it's 500 bucks, like my, my co-partner over here, thank you so much for, for doing that. Um, anything helps. I mean, we want to employ, uh, as many people as we can to be able to provide the services to the kids in this area that, that really, really need it. And not just the kids, but just, it's such a help to the families, all the services that they provide to everybody. Um, so if you can, Go to my Twitter page. It's my it's the link in my Twitter page. Go to my Instagram page. It's the link on my Instagram page up top, um, and 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 donate to to the cause. We would really really appreciate it. Um, it's just it's such a fantastic organization. I know we're all in in tough times right now from a business standpoint, and them for sure um, because there's just. A lot of small businesses and a lot of schools and a lot of places are just, they're losing money right now. So the, the, the dollars that we're raising that are going to them and going to the kids are more important than ever. So um, head on over to my Twitter page, head on over to my Instagram page. Uh, and if you can, donate, uh, donate some money um, and provide some support to, uh, to a school for kids with special needs that, uh, that really, really needs it. So wanted to do that. Before we got on to the last one, uh, again, I kind of feel weird doing that, but it's uh, it's just a cause that is just so near and dear and so important. I understand how, as someone with family members that has special needs, I, I know how important the, the work that they do is. So, um, And then again, if you can, there, there's a little message board, or not a message board, but when you make your donation, then you can put a little message on there. If you do, and you, after you've listened to this podcast, um, just put a little, hey, I listened to the podcast uh, message on there so I can see it. I just think that would be really cool. And I can send you a thank you note as well. <laughs> um, but moving on, last one, attitude habits, team together, everybody achieves more. It was, I go back to that year at Cornell that, that year we won the championship, made it uh, go away from the frozen four. We had it on the back of our jerseys that year, team together, everyone achieves more. And from an attitude standpoint, from a mindset standpoint, when you have players that are bought into the way that you want to play, um, that believe in the team, um, number one, your team is going to do a lot better, but you are going to be on a team for the rest of your life in business, if, you know, if you're a teacher, if you're a doctor, if you're a lawyer, if you're working in construction, um, if, wherever, if you're working at a restaurant, like you're always going to be a part of a team. So if you can understand and recognize how important it is to be a good teammate, sacrifice a little bit of you for the team. I think that does wonders from a team standpoint, it does wonders for you as an individual and recognizing how important it is to be a teammate.
1: I totally agree. And it's, it's always more fun. Ducks fly together. It's always more fun to (laughs) go somewhere with the boys or the girls uh, or both than, than to go alone. There's no doubt about that. And, and I thought you were even gonna say, like when you're when you're on a good team, like you're on that team forever. Like I literally yeah. brought up Hastings a lot in this in this episode. There's there's a couple guys on the team who messaged me consistently up that I played with for Hastings on those teams. Sometimes talking about Hastings, sometimes just talking about <laughs> the good times, sometimes talking about the bad times. Um literally I had a guy reach out to me two days ago and, and we were talking about it. So um, you know, and that was for when I was 18 years old that I'm 34 now. So, uh, (laughs) you know, almost half my life ago, I still talk to the guys on the teams that I talk to the most are probably still from juniors. And those were the tightest teams I was on, Mm -hmm. you know, and I still regularly talk to guys on those teams every year. Um, So it's, it's when you're on a team, and then you're, you're focused on all going going the same direction, like, that's a bond for life. For sure. And, and you know what's interesting too, because you have had these conversations with a couple of
0: different people. Like you talk about winning and you talk about culture and what's more important in terms of the health of your team. Is it like, if you win, are you going to have a better culture? Or what if you have a what? or yeah, exactly, what drives what? If you have a better culture, culture is it going to lead to winning? And obviously it's a lot easier to have a better culture and people are a lot more positive when winning. There's no question about that. Um, and that there's that, that shouldn't be discounted, but I, I feel so much that if you do have that tight knit bond between a group, again, it's just more fun to come to the rink every day when it's more fun to come to the rink every day, you're going to get better. You're going to compete harder against each other, um, because you're all in it together when you're bought into the systems and you're bought into a way of playing and a style of play, you're going to win more hockey games. Um, so it just, again, it, it goes a little bit more towards focusing on the journey. The journey produces the result. The results matter in terms of the health of the team. But, um, yeah, like when everybody's sacrificing, when everybody's in for it, and I love the quote they, they talk they talk about on chicklets all the time, like for Crosby, you know, he talks about how he took less money to to make sure that the team could be better, but it only matters if everybody takes less money. Like if he's the only one that takes less money, then doesn't really matter. He's only one person. And so it just, I mean, that just leads those kinds of things that the the sacrificing a little bit of you for the betterment of your team. um, It just, it's uh, when your leaders are doing that, especially, and your best players are doing that, especially, it just, it's, it it breeds a great culture, which will breed
1: wins. Yeah. I mean, you elevate yourself to elevate everyone else. And, and even like talking about culture driving wins, like if you're on a team that's just not good, Sometimes it happens. Sometimes you have a team that's not good. The talent's not there, whatever the level, it happens at all levels. Um, When you start focusing on growth and growth mindset and a culture of that type versus, Hey, you know, we might not win all the games, but let's not even focus on that. Let's all focus on getting better together, having fun, enjoying being around each other, pushing each other to get better. I guarantee you'll win more games in the end of the year than you would have if you had focused on winning and not culture like there's no doubt i've been I, i've been on that those you know <laughs> what what place did he come in yeah yeah i didn't hear i was too busy winning
0: <laughs> yeah dead last oh, yeah. <laughs> happy gilmore what's up uh okay man this is this is a long episode but i think this was i think this was good but i think being able to talk some hockey talk some shop is always fun and and uh from the feedback that we get from everybody they enjoy when we do it so um, hope everybody enjoyed this episode before we do tail off uh, again, this is being streamed to YouTube. So go to the hockey think tank page on YouTube, subscribe. Uh, we got a lot of great content on there. Um, so uh, head on over to that. You can see Jeff tatted up, no sleeves. What's up. Uh, also have our thank yous as well. Uh, thank you to our title sponsor gel sticks, head on over to gel G E L S T X.com. Use the promo code Think Tank One Word to get a discount off some awesome training shooting sticks or golf clubs or lacrosse sticks. They got them all. Uh, thank you to Train Heroic. We talked about it at the beginning of the episode, Jeff. You want to uh, just give a little bit of a Train Heroic?
1: I just want to thank Train Heroic. Thank Josh Sutcher. Uh, most importantly, one of the founders of the app. Unbelievable training app, any strength. Co- I know we have a lot of strength coaches that listen to this, a lot of coaches that are also personal trainers training their teams. It's an unreal app to have all your workouts in one place, all your t- team uh, players clients whatever can all get their workouts very easily everyone carries around their phone all the time there it is toast got it on his phone right now um super super easy to do uh definitely looking to train heroic I want to thank them and uh, i want to thank one more person These, they're not a sponsor of the podcast but it's a company that i work with and uh it's ghost i was drinking their protein shake earlier <laughs> and the reason is because their founder dan lorenko unreal guy Big-time hockey player, rec hockey player in Chicago, um, always playing men's league. He, I sent him my Train Heroic stuff for free because he, he helps me out with Ghost and gives a deal to everyone in my company. That code is ripped, by the way. If you want to save 20% on Ghost, I'll just tell all the listeners, too. Um, anything on their site but he was like hey man I just want to let you know like my ankles have never felt better i'm skating faster because i have more mobility in my ankles from the stuff i was doing on that train heroic app so i thought that was really cool and he took care of me during covid you know when my gym was closed and i wasn't making any money and uh sent me some subs and he's like you know your fam man like anything i could do for you so just really cool and that's just another example of you know i never even met him just talked to him through through texting and stuff and he's a hockey guy through and through and he's there to help another other hockey guys so just the hockey world is very cool so i want to thank dan and also ghost um, for, for doing that they're they're really good people there and they have a very cool culture with their company too so again it's kind of full circle like these companies that have good cultures are also successful companies so it's just like what you learn in hockey you're going to use later in life like dan is so thank you dan and ghost
0: good stuff man all right i usually thank the listeners why don't you take this
1: Ah, listeners I don't know how you don't know what your voice is when you do that one I just know I just, the intro voice but uh thank you <laughs> thank you I don't know if you an, I know your intro voice I don't know if you have an outro voice but uh oh, it's, it's authentic no no I know it I is. mean it <laughs> I know what it dude, 100% most authentic MFR I know um but I just want to say thank you we want to say thank you to all listeners this this is so cool and uh we're trying to help you guys in any way we can and keep liking and sharing. I mean, there's nothing cooler for me than going on Twitter or Instagram and, and seeing that someone that I don't know shared an episode of ours. Like, yeah. That is such a source of pride for me. And I know it's the same for Topher. We spend a lot of time doing this. I'm working 62 hour weeks right now, every week. And I make time to do this so that we can try and help people the way that Topher and I wish that we were helped when we were coming up whether it's for coaches, players, or parents. So when you share that stuff or you leave us a review, whether it's positive or negative, just helping us so that we can be better to help you be better, it's very cool. So I we'll just want to thank you all for that. Thank you all for listening and sharing and spreading the stuff that, that we're trying to spread. Uh, we love you all, and thank you very much.
0: Right, we love you guys, and we will see you next week. In VEX, we will see you at time.
1: <laughs> <laughs> All right. Goodbye.